The Talk of the Street is brought to you by Donahue Solicitors, an award-winning firm of expert compensation claims lawyers. Donahue Solicitors represents claimants throughout England and Wales in their civil actions against the police, data breach, personal injury, and professional negligence claims. To start your compensation claim, go to www.donahue-solicitors.co.uk or call 08000-124-246 today. Oh, I could watch you do that all day. You've got a job to go to, eh? <laughs> it's a bank holiday. Hey, have you done all right? Yeah, just thought I needed cheering up, which I didn't, so she took me shopping. Oh, that's nice. No, it's not when you spend the entire time sat outside a chain room while she decides whether she wants leopard print or zebra. Oh, quite the zoological quandary. <laughs> Where is she? Probably still there. Gave up, went to Fresh Coast. And hello and welcome to episode 67 <laughs> of the Talk of the Street, an unofficial Coronation Street catch-up podcast that takes exception to Adam's assertion that Gary's garage is full of shite. I think it's only partially full of shite. I'm Gavin. Ah, <laughs> uh, and I'm just beat. Oh, that's a disappointing I'm. I know, I know. I just, I just, I adjective could, here. I could, I couldn't think of anything else. It's just been so stressful this week with the kids going back to school and me having to wake up now instead of <laughs> instead of at 7 30 i now have to wake up like around 5 30 to make sure the kids get up at six and out the door by seven so that's been a tiring old week i don't know why i've been i've been exhausted as well no. yeah i don't know why you've been exhausted as well because you get to sleep in yeah just a little i'm, st- <laughs> I'm going out and getting up at the same time as I have all summer, so right. it's no real change for me. I'm still yeah. up at 7 o'clock and out the door for 7.30. Right. Getting to work for 8. Mm-hmm. Eating through lunch, or working through lunch. <laughs> <laughs> Eating through lunch. Coming well, home a little bit early. But yeah, oh. it's just been, a, just been a shit week. I haven't enjoyed it at all. It, there's been a lot of pollen out and stuff. Oh, and God, I'm sneezing like nobody's business. The... Low pressure systems and stuff. We had a huge thunderstorm last night. That was pretty... It was a strange thunderstorm because the lightning was flashing pretty much constantly. Yeah. And there was no thunder. There was some thunder. Very little thunder. Yeah. It was lightning flashes all the time and very, very little thunder. And a lot of wind. Yeah. Yeah. Pop. Not that kind of wind. Well, I did have some of that kind of wind, but that's, that's a different story. That was very high pressure. Yes. Just a wee bit. Whew. <laughs> and I had my first reading in about six months last night. That was quite good fun. It was good fun. That was nice. I liked that place. I'm going to have... Oh, I forgot to get a hold of Matt today. Because I was busy doing other stuff like work and coordinating for the Poetry in the Park thing and trying to coordinate. Nobody knows what you're talking about. I know. But it just... So I shall cut that out. I'm just insinuating that... It's been busy, but it was nice to get a night out and listen to you tell a wee story and read some from your book, which is still available on Amazon, The Scottish Book of the Dead by Gavin Broom. Pick up a copy today. 
Yeah, I got uh, invited to this, I think back in February when I was doing, I was helping out Alan Harris doing the uh, the hosting of his little series that right. everybody writes and Matthew Rossi asked me to do a, a feature writer spot at uh, Blue Owl Coffee, which mm-hmm. was like six months in the future and so right. I, I accepted it and then completely forgot about it and then re- <laughs> didn't remember with three weeks to go. I was like, oh shit, I guess I get my, better get myself organised for this. But yeah, it was really good fun. I was a little bit rusty. That's all right. I kind of found my feet towards the second half. You wore your talk of the street shirt. I did. I was advertising to people who have no idea what Coronation <laughs> Street is. And couldn't read the shirt while you were speaking because no. of your book. No. We kind of lost our shit a little bit last week. <laughs> did we? Did you listen back to that? What do you mean? I listened back to it and we were... I'm trying to get a picture of your shirt. Kind of all over like the place. like a natural thing. Because were it was Because it was in the morning and we were both like really, really sleepy and... Yeah. I don't think we were ringing the ray game. And, <laughs> you know, we had my mum here and, and my wee nephew here and... And people kept on going into the bathroom that's right next <laughs> to our, our studio and we thought... We, Every we time ha- they did, the fan have- would come on and we would stop and <laughs> we, I would cut it we out. Have, we have a little post-it note that I typically will post on the door, but I haven't had to post it on the door all summer because the only two people who have been here is you and I. Yep. So, uh, My mother has no idea. <laughs> she doesn't know what a podcast is, but I don't think it was her. But people it kept, was her. Was it? People kept a couple of the times bathroom. it was her. Yeah. But as it turned out, when somebody went in right at the very end, <laughs> we were and just turned the fan like, on, oh, fuck, it. fuck it. <laughs> but nobody could hear, you couldn't hear it. Oh, well, that's good to know. That's good to know. But I think we should still stop when whenever anybody goes in the bathroom. Anyway, <laughs> okay. shall we have preamble, my dear? Please. Oh, Corrie News. Corrie News. Anthony Cotton, R. Sean, attended Manchester Pride with a few other Cory actors this past week. While there, he confronted protesters of the event. Oh, he did too. protesting the event. Yeah, well, there were some anti-LGBTQ people there really? protesting Manchester Pride. So he got off the float with a pride flag, went over to them, touched each of their signs with the pride flag. <laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> and then blew them a kiss and went back to the... Back to the float. So well it. done, Anthony. That is it. awesome. Do you know what? I think he gets a bit of a reputation for being a bit of a diva on set. Yeah. But we'll give you that. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Um, while Corey has been a champion of LGBTQ storylines recently, they've come under some criticism by none other than Sue Perkins and Russell T. Davies for the tragic endings of... Female characters, particularly lesbian female characters. Hmm. With Sue stating, if you're a lesbian, it's death, an early death. And Russell T. Davies adding, there is an extraordinary history on Coronation Street of young women being murdered. So maybe, maybe let's, let's not kill off any more young women, Coronation Street. I, I saw a lot Gay of the- or otherwise. Um, the Manchester Pride photographs of the the kind of uh, space spaceship kind of themed float, uh-huh. and there was a few characters there. Charlie was there, and spaceship. and Sally was there, and 
you know, there's a, a few others, and they were all wearing ITV t-shirts. Yeah. Uh, uh, Faye Brooks wasn't. No, no, she wasn't. Just throwing that out there. <laughs> <laughs> she was wearing a, a very... Rainbowy jumpsuit. Oh, there was a silver, shiny jumpsuit, I thought. Oh, okay. But yeah, everyone else was wearing... <laughs> well... ITV, so... <clears throat> anyway. Anyway. So, yeah, it's it's interesting to get that sort of a perspective um, that, well, it's great that they have so many LGBT characters, although not, not quite so many T's, because, yet again, that T died tragically. <laughs> well, it's just kind of driven by what the actor wants to do and i think bavna wanted to get out and right just yeah draw a line under and, and and she is and she has she has come out because this isn't the first time that her storyline has been criticized and she's come out and said i i wanted to be killed off i didn't want there to be any you know hope that i would return and i didn't want to have something bad happen in that relationship for no. me to leave no she so. thought the only way that the kate and Rana's relationship could come to an end was with one of them dying. Right, Because yeah. neither one of them would leave the other. Right. Which you can argue against. But still. Or whatever, but that, but, that, that was her thought, so... Right, That kind yeah. of drives the writing, doesn't it? But also, you know, and and we have said this before in the past too, and Coronation Street is definitely not the only long-standing show to do this, but there comes a time when... A particular character is just not working anymore or the actor wants to leave and so they just kill them off and they tend to kill them off rather horribly and with a factory falling on top of them yes <laughs> and you know i mean there could be more thought put into it and make it a less sort of horrible death or figure something else out it doesn't always have to be death I don't know. I think I think we've we've come because there's been, you know, it's it's a long-standing thing in popular culture from like the 50s on when you have a character that is maybe veers from the norm, is a lesbian or something. They get killed off horribly, and that's you know to say, see, being a lesbian is wrong. It'll lead for you. It'll lead you to an early death. Sleeping with other women, very bad. You'll die tragically. So I think when even even when they're done in the modern era in a way that's tasteful and in a way that is requested by the actor, I think it 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 can jar members of the community. And I think the fact that Bavda is not a lesbian in real life maybe her thinking was good but it didn't really consider the lives of actual lesbians and other gay people in the world and what they have to face up against well, stuff. well speaking on behalf of not a lesbian right of straight white dudes everywhere yeah all right give speaking, me some because <laughs> speaking on that behalf which is a, a very rarely heard point of view <laughs> I was never really that invested in the relationship anyway. I didn't think it really worked. I didn't think the Kate character really garnered much of my sympathy, which we've spoken about. Yes, often. But, but to be fair, okay, I guess there's a spectrum of 
ways that you can leave the show and getting crushed under a factory is maybe towards one extreme of that spectrum. Right. But do you think if she'd been, if she'd died from... Cancer? Or just a heavy nosebleed that wasn't treated, do you think it would have been... A car accident. Do you think it would have been accepted any better than... Than, than, than how it was, I'm not sure. It would Actually, have been. I I don't. I think I think that you know, maybe before she made that request, maybe she should have like spoken to some actual lesbians and said, "This is the way that I want to get off of the show. How do you guys feel about this? Is this?" But who does the character belong to? Does it belong to the actor that's playing that, the viewers really. that are watching it, the writers that are writing it? Oh, the producers that are making the storyline happen. I think when you are talking about a member of a marginalized part of society, yep. that a certain level of sensitivity should come into the storylines. Yeah, I agree. And I think I think that's basically what Russell T. Davies and Sue Perkins were, were talking about. Because they both said, you know, it's it's great that there are so many LGBTQ characters on the show and in soap operas in general there's still some work to be done i think is what they were trying to say fair enough yes finally some good news for a former member of the coronation street cast in snatching a role in an american show oh Former Coronation Street star Richard Fleishman, who played Craig Harris. Yes, he did. He was a goth. Yes. <laughs> is making quite an impression on his new show for Weddings and a Funeral on Hulu. That's a thing? That's a thing, yes. Oh, uh, good produced, for him. produced by um, Mandy Kaling. Oh. Yeah. Check yeah. him out. Yeah. And on that particular show, you get to check him out. You get to check out quite a bit of him. Oh, I don't think I want he to do has, that. <laughs> he's posted a clip of the show on his Instagram feed this week in which he's completely naked in the kitchen and we get to see his ass. <laughs> and it's a very nice ass. Well done, Richard Fleischman. Yes. <laughs> You've come a long way. Well done to him. <laughs> yeah, he was Rosie's boyfriend back in the day and he got Rosie to go goth. It was adorable. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've seen some pictures of his goth character yeah he wasn't convincing at all but it was still adorable yeah now he plays kind of a so is he the the hugh grant character not very bright it's 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 a remake so there's a lot of the same basic premise but it's different so there's no quote-unquote hugh grant character okay etc 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 we have hulu we should watch it we like i didn't even know it was a thing oh are you done? That's it. That was That's a good quarter news. news. Well done. Thank you. Our mailbag. <laughs> Fuck all in the mailbag this what? week. <laughs> For the first time in an awful long time, we have absolutely nothing in the mailbag. Nobody commented on Facebook even? Nope. Or on the Twitter? Nope. So come on, folks. Let us know what you think about the show or anything else for that matter. We're the talk of the street at gmail.com on email and Skype and Cory Podcast on Facebook and Twitter. Get in touch. We will read your stuff out, even if it makes no sense whatsoever. Actually, particularly if it makes no sense whatsoever i thought for sure that people commented on the twitter and nah. that stuff nope not oh, anything oh, relevant oh, people commented on our tweets but not not about not about not the officially show. so yeah hindsight corner
Ah, blu. Blu, 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 blu. Oh. <laughs> From Cory Pedia regarding Tim's mum, who Tim's I've mom. long assumed took her own life following her realisation that she'd married and had sex with Tim's dad. <laughs> following his first wife's death of breast cancer, mm-hmm, Tess began a relationship with Tim's dad after becoming his magician's assistant. Unbeknownst to her, that he thought that she was selfish, rude, demanding and lazy. And when Tess fell pregnant... Jeff, i.e. Tim's dad, mm-hmm. decided to marry her and she gave birth to their son Tim in January of 1972. However, the relationship eventually ended in divorce sometime later. So she's not dead. That's all we know. She might be. You'd think Tim would still she have a have relationship with his mother. Well, who knows. Last week I speculated that a flight from Melbourne to Manchester at short notice would be prohibitively expensive. Mm-hmm. Turns out it's not actually too bad, and oh. it's cheaper than me flying to Glasgow. Oh, Would well, you that makes sense, because American stuff is ridiculously stupid. You can expensive. get a round-trip ticket on Qantas and Emirates for around £1,000, about $1,300. Wow! The Detroit to Glasgow flight is about 400 bucks more. Yeah. That's still That's... pretty good, 400 bucks. Because I remember it being like over two grand to fly to Glasgow a few years ago. Last time I flew it was 2000 yeah. Yeah. Which is why I haven't done it since. No. <laughs> Last week I said that microblading was like eyebrow threading. It's not. It's not? Oh, okay. <laughs> According to Wikipedia, microblading is a tattooing technique in which a small handheld tool made of several tiny needles is used to add semi-permanent pigment to the skin. Microblading differs from standard eyebrow tattooing because each hair stroke is created by hand using a blade which creates fine slices in the skin, whereas eyebrow tattoos are done with a machine and a single needle. I don't know if I'm any the wiser. So what is eyebrow threading? Well, that's with a little thread. Ching, 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 ching. Where they trim your eyebrows with a thread, isn't it? I didn't look that up. I looked up uh, microblading. Which is kind of tattooing eyebrows. Right, yeah, but you said that it's not the same thing. Well, how do you know it's not the same thing if you didn't look up eyebrow threading? Because eyebrow threading has a thread. Does it, though? Yes. We're approaching minute 20, so what are you drinking? Ahem. I'm drinking water with a splash of lemon and ginger kombucha. What are you drinking? Water. And? What's that? What's that over there? That's an empty Werner's tin. Oh, so you don't actually have any Werner's, just no, water. just water. And not very much water. No, I'm going to have to why don't you, why r- don't ration you, myself. Why don't you step out and get a Werner's? Well, let's try and just get through this, shall oh, we? Oh, all right. Shall we dive in, my dear? Are y'all Our first storyline tonight is actually our last storyline tonight, so the second storyline is Robert's Irish Lies. His Irish Lies are smiling. <laughs> On Monday. <laughs> I quite enjoyed this one this week because I think Jed is just so good. <laughs> you think Jed is good? I love Jed. Jed is just sticking it to Robert uh, for most of the week. But, right, yeah, but he's also a dick. Oh, yeah, that's fine because Robert isn't. No, but I feel like Robert is realising. Robert is realising nothing. Robert is just that compounding wants, lie upon lie yeah, upon lie. Yeah, but he's realising how much Tyler means to him. So no, he doesn't. It's, he is. It's all about keeping Irish Tina quiet. Anyway, 
Yeah. On Monday, Robert's getting breakfast in Roy's Rolls and he gets a text from Irish Tina who wants him to visit today. And calls him Big Boy. No, he texts back saying that he'll try. Uh-huh. Then comes Michelle and she's sorry that she's been neglecting Robert recently. Then Robert gets another text and she picks up his phone. But this one isn't from Irish Tina. It's from the Ooh. jewellers. Her ring is ready. Huzzah! She offers to go and pick it up because it's on their way into Stoke. But he says that he'll take care of it. Then hmm. Ryan bumps into Michelle and he gives her a hard time for stealing work from Alia. But she insists it wasn't Alia's work to steal. And besides, she has a wedding to pay for. And when Ryan challenges her on this, she reveals that he, she's been planning a secret wedding with Robert. Ooh. So that's the secret wedding out of the bag then. Well, only to Ryan, who's just going to blab to everybody. Of course everybody. he is. So, he, so somebody else knows. Robert is outside Irish Tina's in the bistro van. He has two rings and boxes and he's careful to leave one behind and then he gets out of the van. Inside Irish Tina's, Robert presents her with his ring, but not like that. It's gorgeous. What a gorgeous ring. It's Tyler smaller. Is, Tyler is interested in setting a date and Robert uh, wants to wait until after the baby's been born. Then Irish Tina notices that it's smaller than the other one, not that she's complaining, and he slips it onto her finger just as Jed arrives. It's a wee bit tight. He's welling up, although I think he's being sarcastic. Yes, he is. Jed's looking for answers. He was left waiting at the ferry terminal. Why? Like two weeks ago. <laughs> <laughs> He's been, been there for a fortnight. Was, was he at the ferry terminal in Ireland waiting for them to arrive in Ireland? No, I, I think there's a... I don't know if there's a, a route from Manchester to Ireland. I guess there is. There is from the west of Scotland. So mm. I, I suppose there is from the west of mm. England. But That would make sense. The fact that this was two weeks ago is... <laughs> That's kind well, of uh, that's why I was wondering if he was waiting in Ireland at the ferry terminal no, I in think Ireland. Was... And so once he realized that they weren't showing up, then he had to get back on a ferry and come all the way back. That wouldn't take two weeks either. And also, we have this crazy invention called a telephone. <laughs> but look, the answer's a phone. He tells Tyler that Irish Tina is only interested in herself. He tells her it's not all about her. He's come for his boy. And unless Jed is mistaken, this is a two-bedroom house, so Tyler will be on the sofa once the baby's been born. He invites Tyler to Ireland, but Tyler says that Robert's been more of a dad this year than Jed's ever been in his entire life. Which is actually true. Yeah, kind of. But it doesn't doesn't mean too much, because Jed's a shitty father. (laughs) First my woman, now my son, says Jed, and he leaves. Watch your back, chef boy, he says in his way. And outside, Robert notices that Jed wasn't kidding. Jed's panned in his van window. He checks and his wallet's still there, replete with photograph of him and Michelle. And then he checks for other stuff, but Jed has one ahead. Why would a chef need two engagement rings? He asks. That was my Irish impression. Yikes. Robert doesn't have to explain himself to Jed, but Jed says, well, maybe not. But he's sure that Irish team would be interested to hear about this. Robert says, it's a fake ring, but Jed knows it's a real deal. He's been round the block. He knows what's fake and what's true. Uh-huh, sure. Yeah, and probably belongs to the bird whose photo he found in Robert's wallet. Robert throws his jacket in Jed's face in an attempt to get the ring back. But surprisingly, this doesn't work. Uh-oh. And Robert ends up with his face in the side of the van, and Jed Shmoosh. has thoroughly enjoyed the rechat. That was quite funny. He had this, yeah. <laughs> like, ridiculous... Elvis, oh, Elvis yeah, snarl yeah. of his face pressed up against the uh, viaduct bistro van. Oh, oh. <laughs> what exactly are you doing? I'm imitating Robert's smushed face. Really? Oh. That's fantastic in a 
an audio <laughs> medium. <laughs> Good job. So Robert's back at the bistro and has to admit to Michelle that his van was broken into and the ring has been stolen. Uh-oh. Oh, well, you win some, you lose some, says Michelle. She thinks this is a bad idea uh, and they should call the wedding off now. Yeah, because she thinks he's kidding. Yeah. Because it, that sounds like a joke. Yeah, but she's just telling Michelle. a hilarious joke. But to... And when she realises that it's not a joke, yeah, she loses her shit a little bit. Right, yeah. What? He says that he's reported it and he promises that he loves her. And later in the kitchen... Don't believe him. Michelle and Robert are contemplating their rotten luck when PC Tinker comes in. He's following up on the break-in to help out the Macclesfield police. Macclesfield, says Michelle? What on earth were you doing in Macclesfield? And Lion Robert says that he was visiting a gastropub that might be interested in the young offender scheme. And he tells PC Tinker a different address from Irish Tina's to keep Michelle out of the picture. Yeah, because Michelle knows where Irish Tina lives. But she doesn't. Does she? No, she doesn't. She doesn't. I'm being sarcastic. There's no reason for him to lie about this. There's no reason for him to lie about this. Well, there is, because if PC Tinker goes and looks at the CCTV of that street and finds out it's a residential street... He's not going to tell Michelle. There is no gastropub. Yeah, but he's not going to tell Michelle. Well, Michelle's going to find out. She's gonna find Just out like she finds out anyway. Anyway, this week. Ugh, God, I I hope this is almost over. Oh, it doesn't feel like. <laughs> On Wednesday, Michelle and Robert bump into Craig first thing and quiz him about the van breaking. Craig says that the Macclesfield cops couldn't see the van on CCTV, and Detective Michelle gets on her phone and finds a similar sounding street nearby. Maybe it was parked there. Robert can't be sure and is worried that he's wasting police time and Michelle and Craig are gobsmacked at this disregard to justice. They tell me, shut up and let Craig do his job. So then later, Seb is playing Craig at table football at the Barbers and Seb, Granny's Craig. What does that mean? He beats him 10-0. Oh. To Granny someone is to play someone and beat them without them scoring a point against you. Are you... You might as well have been playing your granny. Oh. Unless your granny was... Awesome. S- superb at table football. Absolutely. Craig's granny. I doubt it. I don't know. I mean... Seb's tiny compared to Craig. Did you notice that? Everyone's tiny compared to Craig. <laughs> He's very tall. Oh, you were going to say something else there. Were you going to call him a wookie? No, I'm oh, okay. not going to call him a wookie. <laughs> yes, he's I... not hairy. He's he's the he's quite the opposite of hairy, as you know. Oh, we find out later. Yes. In fact, actually, in that scene where he's yes. looking for beard oil, and, and Maria tells says, him, "Well, you, you need a beard, a beard first. first. <laughs> Turns out that Craig's been inundated by kinky requests for dates, and he has one in particular that's keeping his eye on. Seb says, uh-huh. "Oh, ho, ho, this looks very nice." And Craig wants to go on double dating with her and her friend and him. And he says, no, I'm still with Alina. Yep. But that's another storyline. We'll get to that. Yes. Then Craig gets a call from the Sarge and he has to step out. Later, Craig goes round to the bistro to tell Michelle and Robert that his other that this other street that Robert wasn't parked on doesn't have any CCTV. So they're back to where they started again. They're at square one and they have no new leads. Aww. Then outside, Michelle is taking the takings to the bank. Robert apologises for messing up. He doesn't want her to doubt that he loves her. And she says that she doesn't need a diamond to prove it. 
and they kiss, and off she goes to the bank. And then once she's driven off, we see in the background that Jed is leaning against the bistro wall. Busted, Jed says. So people still paying cash at the bistro? Yeah, well, some people do, I guess. Oh, they'll they'll have their uh, credit card receipts and stuff as well, I guess, to take in. Do they take that in? I don't know how that works. No, you don't take that into the bank. That money automatically goes into... Does it? Yeah. I guess maybe. There's still going to be some cash though, right? And had a float. Another cash float. Oh, yeah. So Jed has seen this little kiss and wonders, well, maybe there's something going on between Robert and Michelle. Not that he didn't know that something was going on anyway, but now he has proof. He tells Robert that he's been a naughty boy. It was weird how he just kind of appeared in that doorway because you don't see him there in the background. No, he just appears there. And then all of a sudden he's there. Weird. Because, like, he's not there, and then two seconds later, he's there and has viewed the kiss. But he's not in the background when you see Michelle and Robert kiss. Oh, I quite liked that. I quite liked how he just suddenly appeared like he was... A ghost? Yeah, like he's just kind of a paranormal. A Irish ghost? Oh, well, let's be very careful how we go from here. <laughs> <laughs> I just like that... It's, a, it's, a, it's an old trope, isn't it, that the... Or the bathroom mirror, the cabinet is open a little bit and you see nobody and then when you shut it, there's somebody standing there that wasn't standing there before. I think it's just a, a nice little yeah, surprise, surprise. But that's because he's different. clearly watching Robert. He's clearly watching them. Right. Because he doesn't trust them. And nor should he. No. It's true. Anyway, Robert... No, Jed wants some free grub. And that's just for starters. Robert asks why he's doing this. And he Jed also says, wants an entree. Because I can. You said that's just for starters. Oh, right. And then I said, he also wants an entree. That's, because that's great banter. In the UK, appetizers are starters. Jed is sitting at a table and snaps Robert over to complain about his cooking. Yeah, it was okay. Maybe a little seasoning was required, he says. But Robert's had enough and wants Jed to leave. But at this, Michelle comes in. She forgot to lift some paperwork or whatever and couldn't get the money deposited in the bank, so she tells him that she's going to put the cash back in the safe. Jed decides that he wants the steak. It was a ribeye steak that he wants, medium rare, and a bottle of red, thank you very much. I think it was the credit card receipts, actually, that oh, she had it? forgotten. Then he... Int- well, you just said that they don't need credit card receipts. Well, apparently, apparently they do. I don't know. So I'm, I'm confused as to what you're... No, because... Well, that's what she said. Is she said she had needed paperwork. I don't know what that paperwork was. I thought she said credit card receipts. No, she said paperwork. Yeah. Okay, fine. So then Jed introduces himself to Michelle and Robert jumps to his young offender's lie and says that this is another guy that's working with the, the kids. Yeah. Working with them for my troubles, says Jed. And then Michelle wonders how they know each other. No. <laughs> this all comes out when Michelle wonders how they know each other. Jed is loving it. Robert, kind of less so. Just a wee bit. So Jed's enjoying his meal when Robert comes over with the bill. Jed gets him to sit at his table and gives him a glass of wine. He asks if Irish Tina is Robert's bitter rough. Along comes Michelle and they have a loaded conversation about engagement rings and wedding dates and Robert looks like he wants the ground to swallow them all up. And when Michelle goes off to serve another table, Jed offers Robert peace of mind. Now how much is this peace of mind worth to him? Five grand should probably cover it, says Jed. 
And Robert gets rid of Michelle and goes back to Jed. There's no way in the world that he can pay five grand. He can offer him two, though, which is the money that's in the safe. Take it or leave it. And he needs that ring back. Jed has the ring in his pocket and he slides it over. Jed counts his money and does it discreetly. And later outside, Jed tells Robert he wants Tyler to go back to Ireland with him and tells Robert to find a way to convince him. Otherwise, Michelle finds out everything. Rut row. Because Robert's kind of disappointed that Jed's going back on his word here. Yeah, because... And Jed's like, well, because we have, so that, trustworthy. we have that same document that's been notarised by two lawyers and all right, that sort of yeah. stuff. Get it right up, you Robert. Hardy har har. Yeah, funny. And then Robert meets Craig in the Rovers and he tells Craig that he found the ring actually in the passenger seat footwell. It was under the mat. Nothing else was nicked so they can close the case. He doesn't want to waste any more of the police's time. Oh, thanks very much, says Craig. Yes, even though his window has still been smashed in and I'm sure that the insurance for the car to get the window replaced kind of needs a police report robert says that's fine i'm going to take care of that myself i don't Mm. want anyone else involved in it Mm. and that isn't suspicious no not at all michelle's come back unannounced and has looked in the safe and all the money that was there is gone what the actual she wonders if robert is gambling again he tells her that he's not and that he spent the money on a new ring and he gives her the box Exactly she, like the old one. She wonders if he's lost his mind, but he couldn't bear to see her upset. Her happiness means everything, and then he reminds her that she's off to that he's off to Stoke tonight. Is that going to be okay? She's still not happy about it. She feels like she's paid for half the ring herself. Right, because she's oh, using the, the fuck so. Because he's using the the bistro money, their right. money, to buy her a ring. Right. She's complaining that she's paid for half of it. Right. Go fuck yourself, Michelle. Well, I can understand that. Really? I, this is money that the two of them have made together. She's using that money to pay for... Or he's using that money to pay for the ring. She seems upset that half of that money was hers, so she's paid for half of her own ring. Right. So? But in the in the regular scheme of things, he would have used his own wages from the bistro, not her wages. And that money is... Both of their wages. I can understand that. <laughs> anyway. I just I, think it's I'm a just... strange thing for you to complain about when they're both adults. They're in their 40s. That they have a business together. That the profits of that business go to pay for the wedding. I don't know. I, I, I guess I can... Because that money is supposed to be their emergency fund. Besides... Why are why are we throwing Michelle under the bus here when we both know that Robert is lying through his teeth? Of course, but she's just a horrible person as well. Oh yeah, she is pretty horrible. That's the point. Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. Craig, of course, is then at the bistro and notices Michelle's wearing her engagement ring. He mentions the good news that Robert found it in the van after all. And Michelle insists that this is a new one, and then Craig quickly tries to backtrack, but he's fooling nobody. No. Maybe he misheard, he says. Then Michelle gets on the phone, but she gets Robert's voicemail. And then on Friday, there's just a few scenes. Michelle meets Ali and Michelle. (laughs) Michelle meets Ali and Michelle. Michelle meets Ali and... Maria. Maria. And explains her confusion about her ring. Maria Maria thinks the most important thing is that she has a ring on her finger and not to think about it too much. Well done, Maria. Good advice. Maria. Are you done? (laughs) No. Okay, just let me know when you are. Okay. I'm done. Meanwhile, Robert is at Irish Tina's arguing about Tyler's future. 
In comes Tyler, and Jed leaves him to have a wee chin wag. Robert and Tyler are sitting playing PlayStation, and Tyler suspects that Robert doesn't want him around following the conversation with his dad. Robert denies it, saying he doesn't want Jed to fuck anything up, just as Jed comes in. Well, what's this all about, says Jed. Tyler wants to know what's going on. Robert tells him to go and let him and Jed talk it through. Tyler leaves, and Jed doesn't think Robert's calling the shots here. Robert threatens to go to the police. The Bistro CCTV has caught him blackmailing Robert, and he tells Jed to beat it. This seemed an yeah. un, unsatisfying way for Robert to gain the upper hand again. Seriously, especially since it was not his choice to do it at the bistro. He didn't even know he was going to get blackmailed at the bistro. And, and, and what, wouldn't, what and wouldn't he have said, well, him handing them the money, but that's not really proof, is it? It's proof that money ch- changed it hands, changed but it's hands, not proof, yeah. proof that it was blackmail. blackmail. It's odd. They don't have microphones there as well, do they? Then again, Jed is not exactly very bright either, so... Oh, well. Then Tyler comes back home and Jed is gone. Uh, Jed said that... Jed had told Robert that something's come up and he had to leave. Tyler worries that Robert knew something about Jed and that's why he's left. So Robert explains about his problem with gambling years ago and Jed found out about it and tried to use it against him. Robert says this is for the best. It's the best for all of them. And Robert promises not to let Tyler down. Right, yeah. And Tyler acts like he's a little sad that his dad left, even though he made it very clear he didn't want to go back with his dad and his dad meant nothing to him. Yeah, I think it's... Then all of a sudden he's like, he didn't even say goodbye. Well, I think that's the problem, is not that he left, but he left without even saying cheerio to any of them. Yeah, I guess. But he didn't seem like he cared. So this week I felt that Robert was about to get found out and I think there's been threads sewn here for him to get found out because Michelle is now very suspicious about this ring thanks to Craig Blabin. Right, yeah. And also Tyler is now a wee bit suspicious. Wee bit, yeah. Yeah. Also, you know, like I said, I feel like Tyler's reaction gave Robert some pause. When when Tyler says that Robert has been more of a dad to him than Jed ever was or ever will be. Because he doesn't have that kind of relationship with Ryan and Allie. You know, Tyler actually seems like he likes Robert and wants to spend time with him. Whereas the other two don't. Well, they're grown men. They're like late 20s. Are they? Well, age-wise, yeah. <laughs> and Allie is. Well, yes. But, you know, it just... So it's a, a, a case of need, and I think Tyler does need to have a a father figure because he's still pretty young and right. And I think formative that, years and stuff. I think this may have given Robert some pause that it's not just this baby and Irish Tina that he'd be screwing over. It's also Tyler. But yet he still seems to be longing for Michelle. He said to Michelle well, a number of times this sense. week how much that he loved her. It doesn't make any sense. There's no reason for those two characters to love one another anymore. So who does he love? Does he love... He doesn't love Irish Tina, does he? No, but I think he loves the family and the idea of the family. So he'll be with Irish Tina for the baby and for Tyler's sake? That's that's not great. No, but it's better than Michelle. <laughs> mm. I don't know. This whole thing... I kind of need this to be done. Yeah, fairly soon. This is getting more and more ridiculous. Yeah. 
Although it's been quite funny uh, watching uh, Tristan Gemmell on the Twitter saying that all this behaviour is perfectly normal. Right. <laughs> oh, I've quite enjoyed his tweets over the past couple of weeks just just pretending that none of this is out of the ordinary. It's hilarious. Our next storyline tonight. Sure. Mad Max. Two. Thunder Road. Thunder Street. <laughs> no, yeah. Fury Street. That was what we said last week. Yeah, now it's Thunder Street. Just, just a few scenes on Monday. Lily and Max are having a laugh in the salon as she pretends to shave his head. Then Shona comes in and Max's mood changes. And it changes further when Shona says that she's taking Lily to see David later and not Max. Audrey tells him to show Shona some respect. Then Lily meets up with a reasonably tanned David in jail. <laughs> They've installed tanning beds in the jail at Weatherfield. And he seems to have some kind of highlights in his hair as well, doesn't he? <laughs> Just a oh, little bit from the tanning bed. No sooner have they hugged than Shona sends Lily off on her own in a fucking prison to fetch a book. Shona fills a reasonably tanned David in on Max's fun with a cricket bat at the party. I think there's like a bookshelf right there in the visitor's room. She can't leave that room. A reasonably tanned David reveals that it was Kylie's birthday last week and Shona had no idea. So reasonably tanned David promises to phone Max and speak with him when he next gets a chance. <laughs> He's, he's not tanned. in the tanning bed. <laughs> With his little half ping pong balls over his eyes. <laughs> Back home, Shona has had a chat with Max. She didn't know about Kylie's birthday last week. She apologises and Max apologises for running away and his behaviour. And that's all we get Aww. this week. So I'm not sure about the whole drug thing. It actually looked like he was throwing away his, his pills last week when I watched it back. So I wasn't sure if the... Hmm. The blister had been popped or not. Yeah, it looked like the back of the blister. I wasn't sure. Who knows? Either way, that's as far as we go. Anything to say on that? Just how David has tanned was very <laughs> it amusing. It was pretty funny. Yeah, I, uh, I don't know. I mean, is there any other family involved here? Not really, no. Because technically both of Max's parents are dead. Correct. His dad didn't have any family or anything that might... I don't think it's the sort of family you want to have anything to do with, no. Yeah. I'm just wondering, you know, with David in jail, is this going to be... Is this going to present a problem? Is somebody going to pop up and say, well... No, I don't think there's anybody left to do that. I think hmm. David's probably due out fairly soon. What did he get? Six months? Yeah. So he's out in three then. Maybe sooner with good behaviour. It's been a behavior. month and a half, I think. It feels like he's been away... So yeah, he's probably out fairly soon. Hmm. Our next storyline tonight is sister from the same... Mister. Steve. <laughs> <laughs> that would be the mister. On Monday, Emma comes into the salon to see Audrey. She's calmed a lot since last week and apologises for what she said to her. Audrey is sorry for blabbing and they make up and Emma gets her job back. That's very sweet. Except straight away she's looking for the day off. She needs to go to get to know someone. Yeah, that was lovely. Meanwhile, at the cab office, Liz is, is advising Steve to let Emma take her time and she'll come to him eventually. Never one for displays of patience. Steve wants to fix things right now. And He's later, such a baby. Steve has fallen asleep at the switch, having a dream about Fat Brenda, it turns out. Yikes. And comes Faye looking for a cab. No, it's not Faye. It's Emma. It's, it's, no, it's not no, Emma. It's Amy. It's Amy. In comes Amy looking for a cab into town when Emma comes in. Emma's ready, but not ready to talk with Steve, the person that she wants to get to know. Is Amy, 
Aww. So two of them get back from town later and they head to speed dial and Amy asks her to come back to the flat but Emma needs more time and Amy is happy to oblige. Amy goes home and Steve is keen to learn as much as he can about Emma. Amy tells her Emma is really into death metal music, <laughs> the colour yellow and uh, getting seconds as her favourite meal. <laughs> Liz tells Amy to wind her neck in and stop ripping the pish out of her old man. Later, at Maxine's bench, Billy turns up saying that Summer has been singing Emma's praises or something. I wasn't really paying attention. He encourages Emma to give Steve a fair crack of the whip. It's what her dead dad would have wanted. And that's all that happened there. I was kind of disappointed with that, that we didn't follow that up in any way, shape or form, more than those few scenes on on Monday. Yeah, there's been a lot of other stuff going on, though, which is fine. Yeah, this is kind of my complaint about this week. As it would seem to focus on the wrong storylines. There's storylines that we're interested in that kind of didn't come to anything, and then there's storylines that we're not really all that interested in. I don't know. I think we're kind of interested in the one that we begin and end with. Yeah, the beginning and end one, yeah. Yeah. The next one's about Gary, though. Oh. <laughs> I'm not really all that interested in that. No. Gary needs to go get a haircut. Ugh. Yeah, I think we're probably heading to a point in the next few weeks where Steve and Emma strike up some kind of relationship. Right, but, yeah. But it's nice that uh, she and Amy are, yeah, are I getting like, closer. I like that. I like that, you know. Yeah, it's Billy was saying that Summer was singing her praises that Amy was talking up how, how, how much of a fashionista Emma is and how nice it is that she bought her clothes and stuff. Right. Our next storyline tonight is Hardman Windass. He's a hard man now. Yeah. On He's Monday, got wind up his ass. <laughs> Ryan got paid yesterday and wants to take Alia out to cheer her up about the Ray thing. She asks if he's paid Gary off yet and he says that's where he's headed. Except Gary catches up with him first and Ryan's been walking in a different direction. He says he's a week late and Ryan blames the bistro computer system for paying him late. Gary reluctantly agrees to this. Then Derek and Gary are meeting the speed dial. Gary's making it clear to Derek, who seems to be a bit of an idiot, that everything from Nick goes through Gary from now on. Then Alia comes over and succeeds in blabbing that Ryan got paid yesterday after all. Yeah. Oops. Ryan bumps into Gary at speed dial and Gary tries to pull the hard man routine, but Ryan doesn't notice and promises it will pay back the money when he gets paid. Alia comes over and says it should catch up with Ryan later, and then Ryan winks at Gary and leaves. Derek watches all this unfold and seems to suck a thoughtful tooth. And later, Gary and Derek are walking down the street and they bump into Adam and Sarah. They offer to take Derek to the pub to get to know him a little bit better, and despite Gary's insistence that Derek needs to be somewhere, Derek agrees to go to the pub. Because Derek seems to have a drinking problem. Yeah, amongst other things. (laughs) Yeah. Amongst just being a dumbass. Yeah, just, he's made of problems. Sarah's quizzing Derek about his marital status, and then she goes off for a waz. And Gary comes over and tells Derek that this isn't a good idea, just as Adam comes over with a pint and a whiskey chaser. And Gary, in a huff, retreats to one of the booths and leaves Derek to it. Then the bogs and the rovers, Gary checks to see what Derek and Sarah were talking about. Derek says, chill, Grandad, and Gary threatens him. Derek, who is monumentally stupid, tells right. Gary that he's a pussy because he let Ryan blatantly lie to him and did fuck all about it. Yeah. Gary throws him against the wall and Derek quickly changes his tune. Sorry, boss, he says. Then Adam comes in and Gary pretends that Derek's pished and going home, but Adam still smells a rat. And maybe Derek's pished himself. <laughs> and that's what Adam smells. 
Right. On Wednesday, Roy Rolls, Gary's talking through the factory plans with Sarah. He's wanting to make it brighter in the factory than before, thinking that it'll increase productivity. Sarah is impressed, and they're also working ahead of schedule. Then comes Adam, wanting to know what's going on with Derek and the bogs the other day. Gary insists that everything is fine between them, but Adam doesn't look assuaged. That's my five-buck word of the episode. Ooh la la. Assuaged. After Gary's gone, Adam checks if Sarah has any concerns. She says that she's made of concerns, but she can't deal with Adam having a strop every time Gary comes in and they have to meet. Adam has no evidence that anything is dodgy about Derek, so he can do one as far as she's concerned. But Adam's not put off and he goes round to see Gary at the Archies, and he's looking for a stock list but seems to have got his hands on Gary's electric pill. He tells Gary that all the stuff in here is shite. He says that Gary has his fingers in a lot of pies, and he should enjoy it while it lasts. So Adam really has it in for Gary here. Correct. And we see a little bit of a sinister side to Gary here. You know, when when we were saying uh, a couple of weeks ago, well, what's in it for Gary? And is he only just doing this to assuage his own guilt? Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Well, I think that there's part of it. I also think that he is under the misguided impression that if he does all of this, that Sarah's going to take him back. He kind of hints at that to yeah. Adam. And that's not good because when she doesn't, after he's done all of this, he's going to do harm. Right. Yeah, that definitely seemed to be the way it was going. Yikes. Because he kind of taunts Adam a little bit about the relationship that he has with Sarah. It's not his fault that Sarah wants to speak to him. And right. Adam tries to laugh it off, but... Right, because and as well he should. It's because Sarah wants to speak to him because of the factory, not because she wants to speak to him. Right. And he doesn't seem to get that. Then at the end of Wednesday, a private investigator is at Adam's uh, lawyer's office. Adam wants the investigator to look into Derek and into Gary. He says there's something fishy going on. Gary's selling junk, but he's rolling on it and tells the investigator to get to the bottom of it. Yeah, he wants him to investigate Derek as well. Yep. Yeah. So, dum dum dum. Maybe you shouldn't taunt Adam. Windass. You kind of uh, touched upon this way back at the start when Derek came in that Derek would be somebody who would attempt to pull the wool over Gary's eyes and or try and keep those payments to, to himself. And he basically or, or, said that that's what he was going to do. Why should I pay you? He or says. try to, you know, try to muscle Gary back sort yeah. of thing. I don't think we realise just how much of a fanny Derek is. Yeah, but, you know... I'm sure this is not the, this won't be the last time that he does something stupid like this, where he's like, oh, I don't know. Oh, sorry, how was he? Oh, la, la, la. Yeah, sure. Yeah, and, and, you know, get himself in situations where he might slip up, like sitting and talking to Sarah and Adam. And having and getting beer drunk. and whiskey chasers, yeah. Yeah. Oh, I'm just so done with this. <laughs> <laughs> that needs to uh, needs to come to a halt. Yes. I don't see how it's... I'm not sure where the end point is. Gary gets found out and then what? I don't know. Adam and Sarah are still pretty good together. They're still pretty strong. Yeah, I still like that relationship. I think it's a good relationship. And she's keeping them in check and telling them, you better just 
keep your neb out of this, pal. This has nothing to do with you. I'm more than capable of dealing with it. She's do you a, think she's going to be happy about this whole detective work? No, God no. Especially as it's totally behind her back. Right. And he's putting the future of the factory at risk as well, because if Gary finds out about this or Derek finds out about this and they pull out, then right. or everyone's if the out poli- for a job. If they find out, if they are found out, then the money disappears as well. Right. If they get hauled off to jail, what's going to happen? I wonder if those crickets are audible through the... Because I think I can hear them in my ears. I wonder. Mm. It's night time in Michigan, basically. Yes. It's very noisy outside at night time. It's uh, cicadas. Yeah. Cicada season. Our next storyline tonight. Hope springs eternal. Woohoo! On Wednesday, Tyrone has been clearing the house ahead of Fizz and Hope coming home, and Evelyn is worried that this will mean a change to her routine, and worries that Tyrone might not be ready for having Fizz back after all this time. They've been apart for so long, she says, it'll be like living with a stranger. Tyrone's not having any of it. He can't wait to have them home, but when Evelyn turns away, he does actually look a little bit concerned. So he goes to the barber's first chat with Maria. Tyrone tells Maria that they've been... Maria! Oh, don't. Not again. (laughs) Tyrone tells Maria that uh, he and Fizz have been arguing a lot over the phone, and he worries if they're the same people as they were when they uh, left each other. Maria says that they work well together and Tyrone wants to focus on making Hope feel comfortable when she gets back, going back to school. And then he realises that, oh, wait a minute, I haven't heard about who her teacher is. And then, uh uh-oh. And then Maria's like, look, no, you can look online, see? And he sees who Ruby's teacher is going to be, but uh uh-oh. Yeah, he's not signed Hope up. No teacher for Hope. Back at Dev's, Tyrone tells Evelyn about forgetting to get Hope signed up and he's phoned to school, but it's too late. They're all now uh, oversubscribed. Now he faces the real danger that Hope will end up in a school on the other side of town with no friends, and Fizz is going to fucking kill him. Evelyn suggests getting in touch with Brian. Maybe he can pull a few, a few strings. Do you really think that school is that full? Yeah, I guess. For one more child? Well, they have to draw the line somewhere, I guess, don't they? And he hasn't applied. So if he applied, he probably would have got a place, but he didn't, mm. so... So Tyrone and Evelyn are at the cabin talking to Brian and Kathy, and Brian says there's nothing that he can do, and Evelyn suggests that perhaps there's some Masonic strings he can pull. <laughs> Except that it wasn't the Masons, it was something else, and it wasn't the Stonecutters, but uh, it was something some, along those some lines. Some sort of, yes, surely there's some sort of uh, secret organisation, and Brian says, I haven't been a member of blah 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 for years or something yep. along those lines, and then he admits that it's because they wouldn't let him in. <laughs> <laughs> so Brian agrees to look into this, but at best it's probably going to be Christmas before Hope can get into Bethy Street. Bethy Street? Bessie Street. Bessie Street. Brian advises that Tyrone applies and then appeal when it's ultimately going to be rejected. And later in the Rovers, Evelyn tells Tyrone that she has a few eyes to dot, but she reckons that she's fixed the problem. In comes Brian with bad news. The admin at the school is still on vacation and even tells tells Tyrone that it's lucky that he has her on his side and tells him to get the fucking brandies in. Oh, she loves a brandy. She does. Then on Friday, Evelyn turns up at the garage with placards that she and Ruby have made to protest Hope not getting a place at Bessie Street. I love that she's roped Ruby in. It's it's so pleasing and we don't even have to see Ruby being involved in it. Right, yeah. Just the fact that we're told about it just makes me smile. She has. 
Tyrone doesn't think much of this, but Evelyn reminds him of Greenham Common. And she has a point. He has a meeting with the head today where he's basically intending to beg for her place and he doesn't want his nana anywhere near that. I thank you very much. So Brian is in a meeting with the head along with Tyrone. They make a great case for hope, but she can only get a place on the other side of town. There's nothing Bessie Street can do, unfortunately. Then Evelyn shows up to offer moral support, but what she's really there to do is to accuse Bessie Street of being pleased to see the back of hope because she was a troubled child. Evelyn sees a different side, though. She's a different side of hope. And That's right. She gets all teary about and calls her a diamond. That's right. She's actually crying when she says that uh, is hope, she... hope is a diamond. The hope diamond. Hope's a is diamond. She... Is she really crying, though? She or had she... tears trickling down her face. Hmm. She needs to be in the right school with her sister. She's a changed wee girl and she's ready for this, says Evelyn. Tyrone is touched by this, but the head is adamant. The school is full, meeting adjourned. And Evelyn offers the head to leave first and then locks herself, Tyrone and Brian in her office. Which is hilarious. This is the power of protest and she puts a key in her bra. She won't release them until Hope gets her place back and she calls the Weatherfield Gazette, hold the front page, she says. <laughs> <laughs> then Kev shows up and the head suggests rescheduling and Kev leaves. What's Kev there for? He's there for Jack. Yeah, he has a appointment to speak to them about Jack for some reason. Then Fizz and Ruby turn up uh, a day early because Fizz is back. Woohoo! And so is Hope. Woohoo! <laughs> Hope's hair is different colour though. She's no longer blonde. She has the same head though. I'm just happy about that. Yes. But all of a sudden now her hair is brown. How did that happen? And the house is locked up and Fizz doesn't understand why. And, then she, and sees she doesn't Kev. have a key. That's right. That's weird. Why doesn't she have a key to her own house? Kev explains that Ty's at the school for a casual meeting. And that sends Fizz off in a fury. Yes, and is very suspicious. Evelyn is convinced that she and Tyrone can make a difference here, and it seems that Ty has bought into it when Fizz turns up at the school. What the fucking hell is going on here, she says. What are they protesting about? And then the police show up, and the policeman turns up as the one that's met Evelyn a couple of times before. Yes, yes he's, he has. He's well aware of the work of uh, Mrs Plummer. Yes. Get the CS gas handy, he says. And there's a lovely moment where Brian thinks he might have Stockholm Syndrome and even wants to block the door, but Tyrone only wants to go home. But Brian doesn't know hope. what Stockholm Syndrome is. Oh, just to point out this, he's falling in love <laughs> with, his with his captors. Which would be her. He's like, are you trying to tell me something, Brian? And he's like, oh, no. What was he thinking? What was he thinking if not Stockholm Syndrome? What did he mistake Stockholm Syndrome for? That's what I'd like to know. Sniper's dream. God Brian. Brian is a smart man. How could he do this? How could he mistake Stockholm Syndrome for something else? It's because he's so faint with hunger that he's already <laughs> rubbed the crumbs out of a old tin of hobnobs. Oh, God, he did. That's right. It's just hilarious. The tin was empty, but yeah, all the crumbs up. That was... Right, he's like licking his finger and going around the inside of the tin to get been... the crumbs because he's, been, he's so faint with hunger. He's been locked up for 15 minutes. <laughs> then the Gazette turn up as Evelyn breaks the siege. Brian may have wet himself. <laughs> Evelyn, Evelyn warns him that Brian might have wet himself. The police lead her away while Ty and Fizz shake their heads at each other. She can't believe that he forgot about Hope. And back home, Fizz is upset, but Evelyn has ideas for further protest. Fizz doesn't want to do it like this, and Ty leaves with Hope to take her down the red wreck. Ty gets back and apologises again. Fizz worries about Hope not going to Bessie Street. 
maybe she should go back to Birmingham. She doesn't see what choice she has, and Hope, sitting on the stairs and overhearing this, looks like she's about to murder every single person on the street. Right, and Ty is devastated with the idea of Hope and Fizz leaving again. He doesn't want that to happen. No. No, he's just gotten them back and he's so happy to see Hope. You know, it's just, it's so heartbreaking, the look on Ty's face when she says this. Ah, why does, what? This is a complication that I didn't see coming. I don't think anybody would have seen this coming. It wasn't foreshadowed at all, but. No. And Fizz's logic is slightly flawed here. Happy to see them back, though. Yes, me too. And happy to see Evelyn being on the side of hope for a change. Absolutely. Because she was very much against that wee lassie yeah. way back in the start, remember? She softened a bit, Pushing hasn't her up she? against the... Bathroom wall. <laughs> Living room wall, yeah. That was... Yeah, those were difficult scenes to watch, but yeah. she seems to have softened a little bit. She's yeah. a far more likeable character She's a far nicer now. character. Right. Yeah, the, the street has been good for her. Yeah, those placards were hilarious. And Brian Stockholm Syndrome. So cute. Just loved it. So cute. <laughs> so I guess we'll see where that's going to... I can't imagine that Fizz is going to leave just after getting back. So no, she's not. So it's going to have to get resolved. Yes. Our next storyline tonight is Tim's fucking dad. Oh, go fuck off, Tim's dad. <laughs> mercifully, Mercifully, just a few scenes. Ugh, too many. On Wednesday, Yasmin and Alia bump into Tim's dad coming out of Dev's. He has good days and bad days, he says, and he tells him that Dr. Gadas has ordered a battery of tests. Which anyway, is not true. he needs to get home and he leaves. And Yasmin doesn't think Tim's dad has told Tim or Sally about his health concerns. Maybe she should be the one to tell them. Alia tells her to keep her nose out, and then she says that she and Tim's dad aren't together anymore. I thought that was interesting. Yeah. So they weren't just on a break. No. They've officially split up then. Yes. Thank God. Yeah. So, Yasmin, please just move on. Please, for your own good. But rather than that, Tim's dad is on the patio enjoying watching Alia and Yasmin on his hidden camera on his laptop. Oh, good God, I hated this. Mm-hmm, me too. And he slaps it shut when he sees that Alia's coming out onto their patio and she comes out to tell him that Yasmin still cares about him. If only it was that simple, he says, Yasmin was never happy to commit to him, but Alia makes him promise not to give up on her. Oh, Alia, stay out of it. Right. So Tim's dad has gone over to see Yasmin and he paints a sorry picture of his health. Shortness of breath, palpitations, and he's losing weight despite the fact that he's eating the same amount as he always has. She encourages him he's full of shit, that's to why. move back. Then on Friday, Tim's dad arrives at Speeddal. He's ready to do his shift. The fresh air has done good, he says. He insists he's fine and here to work, but Yasmin is appalled. Take a seat and she'll bring him some food. And that's what she does, but later on he can't touch it and he forgets to eat, he says. Yasmin encourages him to go to the medical centre today. And was at this point that Yasmin looks up on the computer, the, she's on some kind of webmd.com sort of thing, looking up the, yeah, the, the symptoms and yeah. stuff. At Tim's, Tim's dad pretends that Yasmin is doing his tits in, but Tim overhears a conversation about the medical centre. Tim's dad shakes it off and gets, gets wired into a pint and the TV as soon as Tim leaves because there's absolutely nothing wrong with him. Right, yeah, and Tim's like, would you like me to walk over to the medical center with you? And he's like, no, 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 that's fine. I have to find some form for my... Previous doctor. Previous surgery, right. blah, 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 blah. I, it's, it's appalling to me that Tim seems to be 
taken in by all of this. And feeling nonplussed by the whole thing. Right. But does Tim think that there's something wrong with his dad? No. And he also seems to think that his dad is right in all of his complaints about Yasmin. Oh, that's right. Weird. Tim's dad says that it's just a MOT he's going for. Just a, like his yearly checkup. Right. It's no big deal. Right. So then Yasmin shows up to make sure that Tim's dad went to the dock. He said he won't get his results until Monday. She says he can call on her for anything and everything and she holds his hand. But he quickly lets go when Tim comes in saying that Yasmin was only around to talk about the rotors. And there's a confusion over what Tim's dad went to the dock about with Tim saying it was just an MOT and Yasmin being surprised. Tim's dad tells his son to butt out and he leaves. And Yasmin assumes that Tim's dad still hasn't told Tim that he's unwell. Mm. So Tim's dad says that he might just be a bug but Yasmin is worried that she's looked into it and it might be cancer which means that Tim's dad can't tell Tim now because that would just make him have another heart attack says Tim's dad he worries that he can't lean on Yasmin now that they're not together but Yasmin insists that she'll always care about him even if they're not together hmm. it's as far as we get with that I want this to be over it's not going to and be it's for not going to be ages it's it's gonna it's gonna get worse yeah, because they're going to get back together again. And, oh, I hate that. And then Yasmin's going to look after him because he's got cancer, except he's not got cancer. But then what happens when he doesn't die? And this, again, is kind of the confusing thing as to what Tim's dad wants to get out of all of this. He just wants to torture her and to control her and to control her life. If he wants her to think that she's got that he's got cancer. So that she'll take him back. Well, that's going to restrict the things that he can do, though, right? And no, get because chemotherapy then and stuff, and stuff she, that he's also well, not going to get. Or lie about chemotherapy and say he's going and he doesn't want her to go with him. I, I don't think this whole cancer thing is going to be strung out for very long because there's just no way he could keep that going. I hate the storyline. I don't want to talk about it anymore. No. It makes me uncomfortable. Our penultimate storyline tonight. Woot woot! It's a room full of Asha. On the 45. You got it. <laughs> That's a brim full of Asha. But they're arguing about the room. Right, yeah. And so that's where I was going. Yeah. Just on Friday, Addy is finally back. Yeah. So where the fuck has he been? He's been, he had an extended stay with some relatives and went and saw some more of India because he was the kid who seemed to actually care. Okay. Apparently. So he wasn't abandoned then? No. Asha says that she's cleaned out uh, the bedroom, by which she means that she's unloaded all this stuff from the room, which actually seems fair enough. The age that the two of them are, yeah, they probably shouldn't be sharing a room anyway. No. Deb doesn't understand and figures that if he didn't understand a woman, she must be on her period. Which I hated. I hated, I hated that. I hated that so much. Do you know what happens to a woman during her period? Do you want me to tell you? Can a man explain to you what happens to a woman on her period? She has a drop in oestrogen and an increase in testosterone. Right. So what she effectively does is she becomes a man. Correct. Correct. So that means, Dev, if she were on her period, she'd be acting like you. <laughs> she says that she isn't on her dabs and she just wants to have her own private room, which again seems fair enough. Addy wishes that he'd never come back, which seems unreasonable. Dev says to make this happen, Mary's going to have to move out, 
and everyone agrees that they'll be sad to see Mary leave, but there's no other option, and it's time for this to happen. When you've got a dev and two teenage kids living in a three-bedroom house with a living au pair, there's only one thing that can happen. Yeah. Mary has made an incredible cake for Andy's return. Yes, with lots of with a fondant god and elephant. Right. <laughs> Dev wants a chat. Mary does her usual wandering uh, to postpone Dev from explaining that she needs to sling her hook. Dev thinks that maybe he should be the one to move out. His life has been a disaster and they've been nothing without Mary. And this is how he repays her. But she thinks that she has been repaid. She looked... And she loved looking after those kids. <laughs> At first, though, she thinks that he's insinuating that Asha move out. Right. That was funny. <laughs> she says that she loved looking after the kids and she loved being Mary Poppins. And then she runs outside and that's where she eventually breaks down. Oh, I don't like to see Mary sad. I don't like to see that either. And what the, do you think's going to happen? In the pecking order of characters you don't like to see upset, for me, the top is Jasmine, then Emma, then Mary. I think I'm Mary, Emma, Jasmine. Oh, interesting. Mm. Everybody else can be upset. I don't, yeah, I don't care. Yeah, I don't care. Don't care about anyone else. <laughs> well, the kids. I don't like to see the kids. So where's there. Mary going to live? I don't know. Who has who has a spare room? Or who will very shortly have a spare room? I can actually hear you. Who do you think? Tapping your mouth there. Hmm. I don't know. Hmm. Should I know? Continue. Oh, I'm done. With our last story. I'm done with that. Well, no, because, well, where, without spoiling anything, where could she possibly stay? Well, that's why I want you to continue. Well, she could stay at Ken's, I guess, because Ken's got infinite number of rooms. No, no, because Peter moved back in. It's Peter, no, they're back at Roy's, aren't they? Oh, I guess so. I don't think that would work out very well. I don't think Ken and, and Mary could live together. She could move Especially in with Maria. Especially if Claudia is there as well. And Claudia and Mary don't get on. She could move in with Maria. No, because <laughs> then we'd have Mary and Maria living under the same roof and that'd be confusing, first of all. Second of all, all of those rooms are occupied because Maria has one. And Emma has one. And Bethany has one. What about with Craig? She could move in with Craig. No, because... um, What's his name? Oh, God. What's Charlie's character's name? Imran. Imran. Why couldn't I think of Imran? Imran's still living with Craig. Because he's just Charlie. Yes. He could move in... Or she could move in with... The Baileys? No, there's no room at the Baileys. There's barely she, room for the Baileys in the Baileys. She could move in with uh, Leanne and Nick. You're just being obtuse now. I'm honestly just going through each house one by one. Yeah, without even thinking about the one house that does have a spare room now. The Rovers? No, although Kate's leaving soon, so they will have a spare room soon at the Rovers. Sally's. No, because... Abby. Uh, Abby's there. Eileen. There you go. She could move with Eileen. Right. Or she could just take hold of Eileen's house if Eileen was to leave. 
Eileen's never leaving, though. Do you think? I've left that very nicely just to segue into our final storyline of the night, which is, oh, come on, Eileen. <laughs> oh, I swear what I mean. Let's You've run away <laughs> from the street. Now, I listen to another, uh, I listen to a number of other podcasts. Yes, you do. Uh, one of them is called When Are You Getting a Real Job? Really? What's uh, that about? And it's uh, an actor and his non-actor wife who talk about life whilst being, whilst kind of having the uncertainty about. Right, yeah. Because he, he got offered a position, I, th- I think it was an understudy, maybe not, uh, in uh, Boeing Boeing, which is a, uh, a French farcical play. That's exactly what it sounds like. Yes, which got cancelled because of lack of interest. Whoops. And so he had this role that was going to take him round about the country. And that mm-hmm. get, uh, Anyway, so they do a feature on their podcast every week where they do Corey comments. Oh, really? Yeah. And they just seem to read what people have been saying about Corey on, on the Twitter. They don't seem to have their own uh, opinions. But she thought that Jan was Spanish. <laughs> Wouldn't that be Johan? Or Juan. Juan. It'd be Juan, I think. Juan. It doesn't sound Spanish, though, does he? He sounds Eastern European. Yes. Very much so. And he does not look Spanish either. No. Is that our only tangent of the week? That might be. We haven't... Oh, God! We haven't tangented I was much. really sad that last week, for tangent of the week, you used Excel... Shortcuts. Shortcuts. Keyboard shortcuts. As opposed there was like to... Because there was two stages of separation away from the main As, as opposed line. to... Um, Hatspacho. Yeah, but Hatspacho was just exactly like Gaspacho, which was just one step away from it. That wasn't much of a, a tangent. Right. It, you know, when I go through all of the stages of that commercial with Samuel Jackson. Yeah, but you didn't get this. You didn't get the a, company right. Yeah, yeah. Was, and he didn't say anything like the way that you said he said it. Yeah. You didn't go Hatspacho. You just said Hatspacho. Hatspacho. That's how he talks. It wasn't even as exaggerated as that, doesn't I don't think. What's to me? Well, anyway. I like Samuel L. Jackson. I think he's a good actor. Yeah, I think so too. Yes. News at eleven. Samuel L. Jackson's a good actor. Yes. Sporting weather next. It was funny right after that, um right after I watched uh that commercial on YouTube there was a funnier die video of people coming up to Samuel L. Jackson and telling them how much he they enjoy his movies but that now their children do awful things because they've seen their, his movies and in the end he's like why are you allowing your children to watch these movies? <laughs> Maybe you should take ownership of it yourself and at the end there's a link to the um, you know, the rating system and everything And Wasn't there a, a, a guy that interviewed Samuel L. Jackson once and said I loved you in such and such a movie. Oh, it was, was a news anchor, I think. Uh-huh. I loved you in a movie that Samuel L. Jackson wasn't in. It was Denzel Washington or something. Yeah. Or Lawrence Fishburne. Apparently that happens quite a lot to uh, actors of colour. Yeah. Both male and female, and not just the black ones. Yeah, you don't want to get that wrong. Yeah. You really want all, to... All brown actors have that happen to them Be careful quite a bit. And, and, and do yourself a favour, news anchors and... 
Although to be look fair, look like shut up before you say anything. Although to be fair, apparently quite a few of the Chris's get mistaken for one another. Oh, they're all interchangeable. Like Chris, Chris Evans and, and Chris, Chris Pine and Chris Hemingsworth. Is it Hemingsworth? And Chris Pratt. And Chris Pratt. Yeah. yeah. I couldn't tell you one from the other. <laughs> Who are the ones that I get confused with? Oh, you get confused with um, the Ryans. No. No, you. No, no, no. You get confused with Ed Helms and yes. Stephen Colbert. No. No, no. Ed, Ed Helms and uh, Jason Sudeikis. And Jason Bateman. And Jason Bateman. <laughs> I think I know Jason Bateman now. Right, because you watch Ozark. Right, but the other two, nah. I always get them mixed up. Anyway. <laughs> Shall There's we? Your tangent. Difficult. You're welcome. <laughs> On Monday, Seb has taken Eileen to Roy's Rolls for breakfast when he gets a mysterious call and excuses himself. Guess who the call was from? Alina. Do you know how many episodes Alina's been in? Like five. It's not a lot. I think it's it's low teens. And even in the episodes she's in, she doesn't have an awful lot of lines. She's barely in it. Yeah. It's just so terribly underused. Absolutely. Hmm. Hmm. Anyway, because uh, who else calls Seb? No one. Abby. He asks Eileen for some privacy tomorrow as she's going to come and pay him a visit. And there's still no news <laughs> about Jan. Then Eileen comes to the cab office and sees Liz. They agree to have a catch-up tomorrow, and in the meantime, Liz can tell Eileen is still brooding about Jan, so Liz insists that they go shopping, leaving Even, Steve on the switch. Right, who has just pulled an all-nighter on the switch and would like to go home and sleep, please right. and thank you very much. Which is why he falls asleep at the switch in our previous right. storyline. Yes. So Eileen's back already from her trip into town with Liz, and it seems Liz couldn't choose between the zebra or leopard print. Which is hilarious. Quite the zoological quandary, says Moira. Who Helen hates. Correct. <laughs> Moira can understand how Eileen feels humiliated by this Jan business. And meanwhile, Paula is on the phone in her fancy car, watching on an interest. And she tells whoever is on the phone to tell the police everything. And that's exactly why I hate Moira. Why? With the way she's treating Eileen, like, oh, well, I'm so sorry you got taken in. Blah, 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 blah. To blah. be fair, she did say that we all got taken in. Yes, but especially you, Eileen, because... Which You're is true. dumber than everybody else. <laughs> and in the rovers, Moira's quizzing Eileen on her middle name, which apparently is Hazel, which Moira says is tricky because... Uh, I try and skim around about this because it's really dull and boring, but Moira tries to find anagrams of people's names in an attempt to cheer them up. Yes, which is dumb. Yeah. Because Moira's dumb. Johnny offers to listen to Eileen's problems, but she'd rather not talk about it. Then in comes Paula looking for a word in private. Paula and Eileen are talking about the traffickers. Eileen hasn't seen any of them, but Paula wanted to check to make sure she was okay. Eileen asks after Jan and how much she knew about him. And she didn't know much, but Eileen knows that there's something Paula isn't saying. And Paula tells her to keep her eyes peeled and to look after herself, which just makes Eileen even more suspicious. And nervous. Yep. Then back home, there's crashing and banging from the kitchen, and Eileen has an intruder, and she starts hurling tins of peas at him. Which was great. Succeeds. She's got such. She should. She should. Uh, she should pitch for the for the tigers. She she has an arm. She absolutely has an arm. Because she scuds him in the back of the head and she ends up She's smashing the own aim. kitchen window with marrow fat peas. But the intruder turns out to be yummy. Dum dum dum. It's Jan. Woohoo! So how did he get in? Maybe he still has Maybe a key. Still has a key. So Jan wants to explain. He says he had a good le- reason for lying, and he tells. Eileen that he was an informer he was helping the police 
please met, let me explain, he says. Eileen says that if he's an um, informer... Um, Jan's not dev. <laughs> please let me explain. Please don't do that. Just don't do that. <laughs> don't even try. Eileen says that he, if he's an informer, she's Tammy Wynette. That was a strange thing to be. Uh, uh, yes. What would be better than Tammy Wynette? Sherlock Holmes. If you're an informer, I'm... Sherlock Holmes. Mm, that's not great either. If you're an Im- informer, then I'm... Uh... Oh. Inspector Frosty Knickers. <laughs> I'm trying to think who sang that song in the in the nineties. The informer. That would be better than Tammy Wynette. No, you would get that though. Well who Tammy Wynette's been dead for like eight years now. I'm gonna go with Inspector Frosty Knickers, okay? He insists that he's a C H I S which is a chocolate hippopotamus infection shite bag. <laughs> No, it's a, it's a covert human intelligence something. He works for the NCA, which I think is the National Crime Agency. He swears that he's telling the truth. He asks her to hear him out and then he'll leave her forever. And he explains the deal. He was a friend of Nikolai back in the day who asked him to bring the Valium from Turkey. Remember the Valium from Turkey? I do remember the Valium from Turkey. It turns out he was, was very nice. force-feeding those uh, pills to the girls that they were smuggling. Well, that was a nasty oh. detail, wasn't it? Yes, but that makes Mm -hmm. sense. Yep. When he got arrested for the valleys, he cut a deal with the cops. Well, what about Gary, says Eileen. Wasn't it Gary who brought him here? And Jan says that he still had to earn a living and maintain his cover. He tried to keep Seb away from Alina. He didn't touch her. It was all Nikolai, and he didn't touch Seb either. Eileen still wants him to leave. Jan rubs his beard, and he says that he's risked a lot to come here. He loves Eileen, even if she is an annoying woman. Aw, that sounds like something you'd say to me. (laughs) He tells her that Nikolai will send goons to get him once he realises that he was a snitch. So Jan leaves his number in case Eileen changes her mind and then he leaves her to it. Eileen meets Paula in the pub. She has more questions about Jan. She admits that Jan has been to see her and asks if what he told her was true, but Paula can't confirm. She does say, though, that Jan must love Eileen very much to take such a stupid fucking risk. Absolutely. It was a stupid fucking risk. Then Jan is back at Eileen's and she believes him. Paula changed her mind. Jan has plans to move to Aberdeen to get away from the trafficking gang and he asks Eileen to join him. Oh, Aberdeen. It's so far away. Rich Hall had this to say about Aberdeen in his book, Things Snowball. From the train station, turn left. Look for a big grey foreboding mass of oppressive and squarish granite. You'll recognise this as the city of Aberdeen. Now get back on the train, quickly. (laughs) I don't know. You haven't been to Aberdeen. No, but we've been to Aberdeen. No. We've had this conversation before about Aberdeen. Yeah, it's horrible. It's very concrete and granity. Richard goes on to say that coming out of the museum, you can either turn left and go down to the such and such or whatever. You can turn right and you can go down to the docks or something. Or you can stand where you are and just pray for a bit of granite to fall on your head and put you out of your misery. <laughs> Go fuck yourself, Aberdeen. Oh. That's a dull place. Anyway. No, it's not your fault because you don't listen to it. But a podcast I listened to this week, which is a, a show about um, grief and loss and things. It had a man on whose daughter was killed when a brick fell 
from the the building that she was sitting next to in a park and hit her in the head and killed her. So that just kind of reminded me of that. So now I'm going to be depressed for the rest of the night. Great. Well, thanks for sharing. Aileen can't leave Weatherfield, but Jan pleads a case for Aberdeen. He can't come back here ever again, and he reminds her that they were great together. Were they? They seemed to really get on. His court case will be over in a couple of days, and he'll have to leave immediately after because of reasons. He'll be waiting for her. Because of the gang. Then on Wednesday, Seb's fixing the peat in the window. It seems Eileen has blamed the carnage in the kitchen on a rogue wasp. Then Seb gets another text from Elena and ponders on getting his hair cut ahead of their meeting. And then the entire country shouts, this is a fucking brilliant idea. Not just Go the get entire country, haircut. the entire world. Because <laughs> I shouted, yes, yes, please go get a haircut. So Seb then goes to the barbers and then comes out of the barbers and it doesn't seem that he's had hair one cut on that head of his. No, 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 his hair's shorter because it was, is it? it was beyond his shoulders and now it's above his shoulders. He speaks with Gary about the replacement window for Eileen and Gary reveals that he saw Jan yesterday, which surprises Seb no end. So Seb goes to confront Eileen at the cab office about Jan, so Eileen has to fill Seb in on the true story. And Seb thinks this is mad. Eileen says, you think that's mad? It gets madder. And she tells him about Aberdeen. Doesn't Gary know that... Doesn't everybody on the street know that Jan... Was involved with this trafficking and stuff? Yeah, probably not. Gary doesn't seem all that concerned. Well, he's got enough on his plate, doesn't he? Yeah, selling all that furniture. Uh, yeah, Eileen's just glad her first impressions were right about Jan. Seb gets another text from Alina. She says it should be there in five minutes. God, she's had more scenes where she's been texting him than she has where she's been in actually speaking. Correct. Eileen reminds him to keep quiet about Jan to Alina. So Alina has shown up looking more and more like Seb with every passing day, especially when he or has Seb his hair down. Or Seb is looking more yep. and more like Alina. She can't stay long, but confirms that she's well and safe and being looked after, and then she tells him that she's going back to Romania. She needs to find herself again and explains that the one she hated the most for, out of all the traffickers was Jan, because he pretended to be nice. Rachel and Nikolai were pure evil, and now thanks to Jan, she doesn't feel like she can trust anyone ever again, and that's why she <sighs> needs to go home. So from Seb's reaction... Alina knows that he'd know something about Jan, and that's all it takes for Seb to spill his bloody guts. Right, yeah, because he's like, well, if I tell her the truth, then maybe she'll stay, because he's not very bright. No. And this has changed Alina's mind somewhat, but she still has to go. Her support worker is back to pick her up, and they say their goodbyes, and Alina calls him special, but not like that, and she leaves. Alina knows... Or maybe like that. (laughs) A little bit like that. Eileen knows immediately that Seb has blabbed her. And in the rovers, she gives Seb a hard time, but he's already moping too much about Alina leaving. Then Seb and Eileen are walking home, chatting about the future, and we see that Rachel, yes, that Rachel, is sitting in a car on Coronation Street, watching them from afar. How on earth did she How get did out she of jail? Out? How did she get out of jail? she got arrested, right? She right. was in the salon when everyone arrested. got picked up. Right. There's no way she should be out of jail. Because if they've let Unless... her out, then they've let Nikolai out. And they wouldn't have let Nikolai out. Why would... Did how they, is this? Did they post bail or something? Is that something that happens over there? Bail? I, bail is a thing, but I would think that these would get refused bail because of the circumstances. Right, Human or it'd be excessive. Pretty bloody serious. Yeah. How the hell did she get out of jail? Did Is there like a dirty cop or something? What's going on here? That so confused me and angered me. This The whole rest of the storyline just doesn't make any sense. It would make more sense if there's some other guy... 
from the gang who didn't get picked up, who was watching the house. Right. That would make sense. This week... This doesn't make any sense. This week, I think the show actually uh, done its best to make something make sense that I thought maybe didn't make sense, which was, well, what was Gary's whole involvement in all this? Because Jan worked for Gary and right, all that. Yeah. And they explained it very simply. Right, yeah. Jan had to maintain his cover and right. he needed to and earn a living. A, yeah, he needed a job. So that makes that sense. worked. Yeah. That explained that. But no sooner have they done that than they throw than they pull in this whole Rachel bullshit. Any <laughs> sense at all. So Ugh. on Friday we kinda pick up where we left off. Rachel's still sitting in that car. Like overnight? Trying to eavesdrop on Eileen and Seb discussing the future, but she's Appar- scuppered. Apparently she seems to be able to lip read or something. Right. Because she's so pissed off when they face the other way and then a, uh, a higher van pulls up and blocks her view and she s- smashes her hand against the steering wheel. And right, discuss. yeah, like, oh, now I can't read their lips. <sighs> Seb goes to the shop, but on his way back, he finally notices Rachel's car. She sees his attention and, he, she's, and she speeds away. Meanwhile, in the gunnel, Jan meets Eileen and he tells her that he has to leave today. He shouldn't be in Manchester, but this is too fast for Eileen. She's out of her depth. He tells her that he'll be at a truck stop at 3.30 this afternoon. And he says, come on, Eileen. Yeah. Come with me. And I am going to resist saying that in an Eastern European accent. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. He's not wearing overalls with no shirt, though, when he says, come on, Eileen. And more's the pity. No. They always look kind of dirty, Dex's Midnight Runners. <laughs> they always look like they need a good wash. Yes. Now, a Midnight Runner is a a smuggler? Is it? Oh, I'm not sure. It kind of sounds like it would be a smuggler of some sort. It's kind of not a great song, is it? Because it's basically a song where they're basically wolf-whistling at women on the street. Right. I have a friend. You, you in that dress hates this fucking song. Makes my thoughts so dirty. So come with me because I find you attractive. And right now you mean everything because you're walking by in a dress that makes me horny. That's not great. Oh, Dexies refers to the pill Dexedrine, more commonly referred to as Speed. Yes. Since Dexies keep their users up all night, they were dubbed. Dexy's Midnight Runners. Oh. So there you go. That's pleasant. <laughs> so, oh. that, so that band was high on drugs the whole time. They, 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 named, they named themselves after a drug and, and addicts to that drug. Drug smugglers or drug suppliers yeah. or something like that. Yep. Well, you know, Steely Dan named themselves after a dildo, so. Oh, did they? A Steely Dan, yeah. Oh, I guess I'd never thought about it. I don't think I would guess what a Steely Dan was if you gave me a, a week to think about it. <laughs> That's why we have Google now. <laughs> right. Where did we get to? In the gunnel. Did we get to the gunnel? Yes, we got to the gunnel. Yeah. So Seb catches up with Eileen and Roy's rolls. Jan is leaving in a couple of hours and Seb tells her about the mysterious card that he saw. Someone is watching them. Dum, dum, dum. Later, now Seb is meet with Liz, telling her that Eileen is planning to do a moonlight flit to Aberdeen. Liz is still under the impression that Jan is a wrong one, so Seb tells yet another person Jan's secret, and then about the mysterious car. 
He worries people are here for revenge, he says, and he thinks Liz is the only one that can convince Eileen to stay. But Liz can't convince her, and all she succeeds in doing is getting Eileen to drag up bits of Liz's past. Liz has washed her hands of the situation, and we don't really see yeah, any of that. Yeah, all all of that happens off screen. Like, Liz runs out to try to convince Eileen while Seb sits there in the rovers and then comes Sipping back to the fight, rovers right. while he's still sipping on the same pie. So Eileen meets Jan at the truck stop. Uh, she can't do this. She's sorry. They hug. And then Rachel's car pulls up alongside the truck stop. Jan needs to go. Then Rachel, holding a pistol in her hand like she's never held a gun in her hands ever before, walks towards them. She raises the gun. In between two trucks. Right. And she pulls the trigger. In heels. And we don't know who has been shot. Right, because they both seem to have a stunned look on their face. Where did she get a gun from? Right. I would imagine guns are not easy to to get a hand on. Handguns particularly, yeah. Yeah. Pretty difficult to get your hands on. Yeah. Jan falls to the ground and Rachel runs very slowly back to her car and drives away. And this, I thought, was pretty pathetic. And and while Eileen shouts for help and all of the dudes at the truck stop just kind of look at each other like, what are we supposed to do? And then finally somebody calls an ambulance. Nobody tries to chase Rachel down or to stop her. She's running away very slowly. In heels. (laughs) Then Seb meets Eileen at the hospital. Jan is under armed guard and Eileen blames herself for leading Rachel straight to him. Yeah. Yeah, you should. Yeah, armed guard. Later on. Against Rachel. the, The surgery has gone well. The bullet missed anything vital and the police want to speak to both of them. Eileen thinks back to Pat and how no one is really safe and then she sends Seb off home. Eileen goes in to see Jan and it seems that he's doing okay just hours after being shot. Jan says it's dangerous for Eileen uh, to be with Jan right now but Eileen can't live without him. She's changed her mind. She's going with him. Jan tells her that she'll find someone else and she should just forget about him but he's shown Eileen that she's too young to give up on love. They need to make sure they can't find them. They need to get away from whatever's facing them, whatever's chasing them down. She's, she's never too been, old to give up on love. She's never been so sure of anything. And that is how we end this week's episodes. That whole Rachel shooting Jan just thing bollocks. was just stupid. I Apparently lots of people are angry about that on the on the Twitter as well, saying that be. it was just a rubbish scene. That, you know, she's stomping very loudly on the gravel and neither one of them looks up and the way the way that they have her situated she's like in between the two of them when she aims the gun and shoots she's shooting straight ahead like she's gonna shoot their hands (laughs) and then all of a sudden it's Jan's stomach that's gotten shot it should be the the side shouldn't it his belly or something it's just how on earth did she? How on earth did she hit either one of them with her aim being right in between the two of them? None of that makes any sense. She she looked like she'd never hit a leg on her life before, and she can shoot somebody from distance, one shot. Yeah, and was able to get quite close to them, without them looking up and saying, "Oh, it's you," with a gun. Right. If somebody, if somebody. Especially if I'm afraid for my life and afraid that some people from some gang are going to find me and kill me. I would think if I saw anybody in my peripheral vision, even if I'm holding on to the man I love, I'd notice them. Well, people tend to see things in their peripheral vision. That's why you look. Right, but neither one of them looks. No. 
Yeah. Eileen's not going anywhere, though, is she? Is she leaving? I don't think she's leaving. I don't know. Do you know? I don't. I have no idea. It's not something that I've read about. I, I tend not to go looking for spoilers, but I end up seeing some of them just by accident. But I haven't seen any about this. Although I saw stills of the shooting, maybe on Wednesday, and I thought, yeah, there's, a, there's a character that's never held a gun in their life. I keep on going on about that, but it's... Right, that's because you've held a gun in your life, so you're snotty about it now. Right. <laughs> it's not that easy to, to hit a target. It's No. It's really not it's, that easy. It's not that easy, and it's not really that easy to hold a gun. Although I'm a pretty good shot. Well, yeah, but... You know, a gun has weight to it. That this pistol didn't have. And the weight of a gun is kind of off kilter. You have to be, you have to have a really steady hand to shoot anything. Just none of it running through. There's all these things that have to happen before you can shoot a gun that it didn't look like Rachel did any of those. It was, it, and also, how did she get a gun in England? It can't be easy. I, I don't think it's impossible, but I don't think it's easy to do it in right. a, like a, and, just in a couple of days. And you know after what? After getting out of jail, when you should never have been let out of jail. Right. And I, I would think that it'll be very easy for them to trace that gun because there aren't that many guns yeah, probably. in England. The whole thing doesn't make any sense. And why she should she would follow them... On her own, by herself, without any other gang members. Because I'm assuming this gang has more than just two people. I'm not sure what silencing Jan is going to achieve. Because they were kind of bang to rights. They were caught. Right. In the salon with... Right. And the girls have <laughs> the given girls. witness. So, bumping off Jan really achieves nothing. It's so pointless. It's just revenge, I guess. But then she's going to get caught for that too. I get done for murder. Right, or attempted murder. Just awful, just awful. No, it would have made much more sense if we saw a mysterious dude with a Polish accent. And a ponytail. Always with a ponytail. Maybe not a ponytail. You know, following them and and creeping up and knowing how to hold a gun and shooting. Because it doesn't make any sense that Rachel's out of jail. That should not have happened. Have we seen the end of Alina? Is that her out of it? Kind of looks like it. Yeah, I think that's it. Do you think Eileen is leaving? I don't know. We'll need to see if she's good to watch next week then. And you know what? She might leave and then come back because she's done that before. She's done that before with Nicola, yeah. Moment of the week. Kind of a lame week. Uh, I, I, I like to siege with Evelyn and Brian. I don't know if it's moment of the week though. Yeah, which part of that would be the moment of the week? The Stockholm syndrome. Oh, but. I would say the moment of the week is when Evelyn is talking about hope and calling her a diamond and everything. And oh, yeah, that was really up. nice. Yeah, that, that was really nice. nice. I liked that. Even if she was lying or just milking it. Right. We've given it to Evelyn quite a bit, though. Well, that's because she deserves it. Right. And nothing else really deserved it. I didn't really enjoy it all that much this week. I thought it was a kind of mediocre week. Yeah. So, yeah, let's just give it Let's just give it to Evelyn and our turn on the waterworks for hope. That's our moment of the week. Moment of the week. Boring, 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 boring. The boring moment of the week. 
Moira's anagrams. Yeah. It was either that or <laughs> Billy telling Emma how impressed Summer is that she can buy clothes. Oh, no, I, I thought that had a, a purpose because that... It did have a purpose, but it was kind of boring. But yeah, Moira's anagrams were just... It, was, it wasn't funny. And it was in about three or four scenes. It didn't make any sense. It was dumb. The anagrams and I weren't hate funny. Moira. <laughs> I so, like yeah. Moira, but that was still pretty dull. I so. don't know why. She's not funny. Uh, she makes me fun. She makes me smile. I think she's funny. That's our boring moment of the week. You have poor taste. I think <laughs> you're funny. <laughs> there are lots of people you find funny that I find funny, but not Moira. That's our boring moment. I, don't, of the week. I just think. I don't. I, I sympathise with her. I, I don't know I why. I like Stuart Lee. And you find Stuart Lee funny. Oh, Stuart Lee's the best stand-up comedian of her generation. World. Yeah. Yeah. And you surprisingly like Richard Herring as well, which is I love Richard Herring. Which isn't I think usual, Richard I Herring think. is brilliant. <laughs> He's a great interviewer and I love like the emergency questions. Yeah. They're fantastic. Like the, the suntan lotion coming out of your armpit. Or a hand made of ham. Right. Or the talcum powder. Out of your nipples. <laughs> Which would you prefer? Or the the question from the emergency questions that always uh, kind of triggers me a little bit is the finger that can travel through time. <laughs> because just because it can travel through time doesn't mean to say it can travel through space. So if my finger can travel through time, it just goes back in time to this room <laughs> like 40 years ago. Which limits it very much. And that, that, yeah, this room wouldn't have existed 40 years ago. Right, but the the space in which this room occupies would exist. Yeah. There just would be nobody there, so my finger would just appear <laughs> <laughs> in a field in Eaton Rapids. But everyone answers the questions if they can go and stick a finger up uh, Hitler's, Hitler's ass. ass or whatever. Yeah. And that's not as simple as that. You'd have to go to Austria. Time and space, yeah. Right. It'd have to be time and space. Anyway. <laughs> so... So, that's an excellent point. I know. <laughs> and that was that's the point I would make to him if I ever end up on right. Rahul and he asks me emergency question. <laughs> <laughs> it is 9.30, would you believe? Woohoo! Do you want to wrap this up? Yes, please. If you have any ideas as to why Rachel isn't in jail, please drop us a line to let us know. We're the talk of the street at gmail.com for email, Skype voicemail, and PayPal donations to our virtual tip jar if you want to send us a couple of bucks. Thank you very much. And we're at Cory Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And please drop us a rating and a review on iTunes. That would be lovely. Thank you very much indeed. Please do sleep well and don't have nightmares. Thank you for making it to the end of another episode. <laughs> About Hitler's finger. <laughs> we will be back next week with more Talk of the Street. Bye. Cheerio. This episode was brought to you by Donahue Solicitors, an award-winning firm of expert compensation claims lawyers. Donahue Solicitors represents claimants throughout England and Wales in their civil actions against the police, data breach, personal injury, and professional negligence claims. To start your compensation claim, go to www.donahue-solicitors.co.uk or call 08000-124-246 today.